In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Cam. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. And welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Heilprin, the Athletics' Jesse Temple along with you. Wisconsin gets the big win over Michigan, 35-14. to We'll get into all of it. Also got coming up a conversation with John McNamara from BadgerBlitz.com breaking down all the big recruiting news. Wisconsin got a couple of commits this weekend, including a big one on Sunday from a four-star tackle out of Minnesota. We'll talk with him about that and get his thoughts on pretty much the 2020 and 2021 recruiting class. We've got the best from inside the post-game interview room as well. Best sound from that. We're going to be giving away tickets to the Northwestern game. Uh, we're going to be giving that uh, trivia question coming up here later in the show. And we've also uh, got your Twitter questions as well. But first, Jesse. Wisconsin had their first test and they passed it. With flying colors. With flying colors. All right. Yes, they did. They beat down Michigan 35-14. to I don't think the score was indicative of how... Much of a game that was a blowout. It was 35 to nothing at one point. Wisconsin, I don't know, I don't want to say pulled their foot off the gas a little bit there uh, towards the end of the third quarter, into the fourth quarter. But either way, Wisconsin got it done. They led 28 to nothing at the half. That was the first time Michigan had trailed by 28 points, by as many as 28 points since 1958 at the half. And it was the second biggest win in Wisconsin's history against Michigan. The, the last one that was bigger was a 22-point win in 1962. So it was a historic performance. Jonathan Taylor, first running back by Wisconsin ever. 200-plus yards against Michigan. So Yeah, and did it in a little over two quarters. Obviously did play in the first quarter, didn't play in the second quarter, played the third quarter, and got a few carries there in the fourth quarter to push him over the 200-yard mark. But he was fantastic. The, uh, the offensive line held up better than I thought that they would against a Michigan front. You know, Jack Cohn had plenty of time when he did pass to to find open guys. The defense, yes, they gave up. They finally gave up some points. It took losing two safeties uh, and 15, 30 yards of penalties to get Michigan down in there and, and allow them to score. But they created turnovers again. They were all over the quarterbacks. They knocked two different quarterbacks out of the game. It was just an overall remarkable effort from Wisconsin. This has been as good of a start as anybody could ever imagine. Well, and think about it. This is the first time since 2011 that they've scored at least 35 points in their first three games. I think that says a lot. What happened in 2011? They went on to score. They lost three games. They did. They did. They did. But uh, I'm not going to let that go unchallenged. Their defense was not good yes. in 2011. It right. was, it, yeah, that, that's that's the all-time record in a single season for scoring average. That is what I was referring to. Jesse, that is what I was referring to. Yes, and uh, while we're on this topic of offense, I would like to give a shout-out to Jack Cohn. I'm sure we were probably going to get into him at some point. If you look at the numbers from this game, it maybe doesn't stand out as something exceptional. He completed 13 of 16 passes for 128 yards, but he ran for two touchdowns, and the efficiency that he has played with thus far, I think is far and away beyond what anybody thought he could do, and Look, we've had many conversations. I think we both agreed that who he was last year was not who he was going to be this year, despite the fact that people were ready to write him off. But he's completing over 77% of his passes. He is fifth in the country in completion percentage, and he's in the top 15 in pass efficiency. And I understand that the first two opponents were not exactly Ohio State, but you get your first test against Michigan, you get the job done, you connect on a 26-yard pass on fourth down, and you deliver two touchdown runs. 
First quarterback at Wisconsin with two touchdown runs since. Russell Wilson, I'm guessing. No. <laughs> John Stocko, 2004. Oh, really? I did not know that. So I think he deserves a lot of credit, and I two just gu- wanted to mention that up the to- at top. Two guys not really thought of as, as runners, John Stocko and Jack Cohn. But it was kind of funny. Paul Christ even laughed, I think joked, because uh, they called a they called a draw on third and ten, like quarterback draw. It was one of the guards that just got blown up right back into into uh, Jack, and he went down, and it was it looked ugly. And then obviously on the scramble, he said their their scramble looked much better than their called run, and you kind of laughing at himself, but it was. I mean, it was a great great play, and he had gotten beat up on that drive too. I mean, he had taken a couple of shots. He ended up going to the medical tent after that drive, but to, for him to just put his head down and whoosh right right in there, it was fantastic. He is also. And you talk about the pass efficiency, and you talk about completion percentage. What hasn't he done yet this year? What hasn't he done? Turn the ball over, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And not turn the ball over. And going back to, I mean, it's been it's been since the first quarter of the pinstripe bowl since he's thrown an interception. I believe it's up to eighty four passes uh, or eighty six passes. One of the two. I, I looked it up, and I can't remember which one of the two is. But it's been a long time since he's thrown an interception. So those things that he was not doing well last year, fumbles, interceptions. It's been completely different. And I'm glad you bring that up, Zach. I wrote a story on Jack that published this week on The Athletic about what has made him so good. And that's a big reason, too. Even last year, he was just much better at protecting the football than Alex Honeybrook was. And I know it was a smaller sample size at that time. It was one interception for every 31 throws. And Alex had one about one every 18. But if you look over the totality of his brief career at this point, now it's up to an interception every 57 throws or just under 60 throws. Whereas Alex was one every twenty-one throws or so, and it just it just makes such a substantial difference that you don't go into every game and you think, um, is there going to be one throw that the entire fan base regrets? And Alex did a lot of great things. I'm not taking away all the wins that he had and some of those incredible games like against Miami in the Orange Bowl, but he was due for a bad throw once a game. It just seemed like that, and a lot of the case it was. And Jack hasn't done that, and I think that's another thing that really stands out about what he's been able to do. I honestly. If you want to pick apart his game, I don't know what you can say um, he hasn't done other than maybe delivering every deep ball and throwing more deep balls. I yeah. mean, he didn't throw very many against Michigan, but he didn't have to. Right. He also delivered when he had to on that fourth down pass. He did. The one deep throw, that I, I think he made two poor throws. Yes, one was almost picked. One was that little, yeah, that little, uh, the trying to get it out to the running back and, and the defense lineman almost picked it. And then the other one was the deep ball to Quintez into double coverage. And Right before, I'm like, shot play here, and sure enough, they Michigan knew it was coming too, and they were all over it. Um, and uh, so those would be the two throws I think he'd like to have back. And he he mentioned, I think those are the two that he mentioned, saying, "Yeah, I mean, I almost had two. I got to get back to, I got to get back to work, or you know, I got to be better there." And he's never going to say a ton of things. Like that's just not who Jack is. But you could tell on his quarterback sneak, just the confidence that he's playing with, because he he did a little strut in the end zone, like. A strut for Jack Cone, strut like yes, I'm here, I got this, you know, and it, it you could tell he's just exuding confidence, and it goes back to I think that confidence is probably built a little bit by Paul Chris' confidence in him and in the offense because I think there were a couple of key plays to the game, and the first one of the uh, of it was the going for it on fourth and one at your own was it 34 yard line. Yeah, I mean, you are you got the biggest offensive line. You're going the hippo package. You got 2,500 pounds of offensive linemen on the field. You feel good about it, but that's not Paul Christ. Like, that is so anti-Paul Christ, or what we have come to know as Paul Christ. 
And for him to go out and do it, I think it shows confidence in the offense and then also certainly in the defense and the way that it's been playing. But it was three fourth down calls. That one, you had the throw to Quintez Cephas on fourth and three. I mean, throwing the ball down the field on fourth and three. And then obviously Jack Sneak on fourth and uh, was was that? Uh, fourth yeah, and goal. Yeah, fourth and goal at the one. Same drive one. after they converted the fourth and three to Quintez. Right. Those are those are calls, especially the first one, that you just this is a guy that punts from the other team's thirty five yard line. You know what I mean? And now he's calling this in the biggest game of the year to this point. That says a lot. And I think the comments that players and coaches have made about Jack Toon, and not that going forward on fourth down is all about Jack because you got eleven guys and you gave the ball to Jonathan and had eight offensive linemen essentially on the field at the time. But like when I was asking Paul about Jack after the game, the the that was probably his best answer, I felt like. The, the way that he described Jack and what Jack has come to mean to his teammates. And he called him, he said that he just, he really competes. And it wasn't all like a coach speak type of answer, but you could. Did you, you, you could, appreciate his answer? I did appreciate it. And he said that obviously he appreciates it. The <laughs> team appreciates it Jack. A, it may have been a record. But I do think that there's something to be said for the way these guys. I mean, Jonathan Taylor said this. David Mormon said this. The way that Jack carries himself makes these players want to play hard for him and rally around him. And David said that there's a grittiness about Jack. And I think there's something to be said there. Not that a, you know teammates are ever going to like throw their quarterback under the bus, but they've really taken to him. And I think I think that's noteworthy. I think it definitely is. It was one of a number of noteworthy aspects of the game. I wanted to go back to the other side of the ball, and because on the first drive of Michigan's or Michigan's first drive, first play. Eric Burrell stumbles, falls, and allows the guy a 68-yard catch. Fayon Hicks tracks him down, gets him down on the ground. And Eric Burrell was in his he he said this. He goes, I was in my own, I was in my own feelings. I was in, you know, I was down to myself. And you'll hear this later on when we put together our our full audio and uh, all the audio highlights from the post-game locker room, which we'll be doing here later in the show. He was in his he was in his feelings. He was like down on himself because he goes, it wasn't anybody it wasn't anybody else's fault. It was my fault. That's really hard to accept. And even after uh, Michigan got down, and had to call a timeout, and he's walking over with his head down. And one of the first guys to greet him was Chris Orr. And he and Chris Orr gets in his face, and you could tell that he wasn't upset with him. He was uh, he was trying to you know give him some some energy, give him, you know, get his head back up. And he, or was slapping his head, his own helmet, like slapping himself in the head multiple times. And it was about, you know, it's one play, get out of your head, you know, get it out of your head. It's, it's one play. It does not matter. It's, it's irrelevant at this point. Two plays later, who's the guy that comes up with the, uh, <laughs> the, f- the fumble. It's Eric Brell later has an interception in, a, in another big play. I mean, the adversity that the defense faced, it wasn't a lot, but when one of the first times they've had to do it this year, they came through. And Fan Hicks deserves a ton of credit too for tracking down that play because 51 of those 68 yards went after Eric missed the tackle, and very easily Michigan could have scored, would have been a tie game, a completely changed the yeah, complexion of the entire plays. game. It could have changed. It could have been the other way. And Paul didn't want to. Paul didn't want to get into that, saying, "No, it, you know, what if we don't get it?" And maybe the game's like, no. Those are two huge, huge plays. I think there's something to be said for the way these guys pick each other up, and and. You can probably say this about a lot of teams. I don't know if you can say it every year, but I, it just feels like there's a certain closeness and camaraderie about this group. Um, and some of that is talent and depth and all that. But like, I, I just, I mean, to have Chris, who's one of your leaders, be that type of guy, you know, you have to rally around your leaders. And I, I just, what a perfect guy to have as a leader. And he will, by the way, any slight that exists out there, if someone made fun of him in ninth grade and it shows up on Twitter now, 
he's probably going to get in that guy's face and let him know because Shea Patterson said what to me was a completely innocuous quote really earlier this week uh, before the Michigan it. game about, uh, I saw it, but I just didn't think much of it. I mean, Michigan had not played well against Army, took double overtime to win 24-21, and Shea Patterson was being asked about Michigan moving forward, and he said, basically, we're, we're hoping to go there and make a statement. And he said, like, you know, that's all I'm going to say. Well, Chris turned that into a big thing and letting the entire defense, the entire team know about it um, and had a lot of great things to say after the game, which hopefully you'll play in that all package those as well all because those in the package he's well. just fantastic. I just I, I enjoy being around him, and I think he's he's been a great leader for this team so far. Yes, but you're right. He'll grasp on a little everything, and he'll say, you know, it, you know, it doesn't really add a lot. I don't need it, but you can tell he, he feeds off of it. You could tell it. He loves – he just loves that little bit of anything that he can grasp onto to not just – fuel himself, but fuel his his leadership and to give it to everybody else. Um, and I think Zach Bond, not in referring to that, but just his energy on the field has just been different this year. He, and I think it's the fact that he had all that time to play last year and he played a bunch, but it was his first year and he was still feeling it out. And he's just come into his own this year and he's been fantastic. Those two seniors have been the leaders on the defense and uh, have been among the biggest players on that defense. I mean, Chris Orr had one tackle. That's all he was credited but for. But he had a couple pass breakups. That's what I'm saying. Like he, he does involved. Other, he does other things than just tackle guys. Like it's people just look at the tackle stats. But yeah, he had the he had also had the, the fumble recovery there at the end. The the two forced or the two the two passes defended. I mean, he was he was all over the field. And like it just doesn't show up in the in the tackle numbers. But you know, Zach has already got as many sacks this year as he did all of last year. I mean, it's it's that group in general. They're getting after it, and I I think. It was a total team win. I mean, even obviously the, the special teams didn't have a lot to do, but, you know, Jack Dunn, a few nice returns here. Anthony Lottie, I thought, punted it well. You had the one missed field goal, of course. I believe they're now one and four. Yep, that's right. That'd be, that'd be the one place that you would point to and say, eh, that's not great right now. But overall, this is as good of a start, and I think you said it, as you could hope for at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, you can nitpick at things. Certainly, sure. the, the kicking game is not something to nitpick at. If your field goal kicker is one for four and you don't know what's going to happen when he goes in there, that's a problem. So far, it hasn't made a substantial difference. But you're right about someone like Zach Bond who comes in. He's our, he's leading the team in tackles for loss. He's got five tackles for loss. He's got three sacks, leads the team in that. He's got a couple forced fumbles. He's, what, did he's, we already say this? Like five and a half, tackle, five and a half sacks led him last year, right? And I... I we, we you did went the, the over-under. You, over. you went the over. I hope I did. You did. now I would feel foolish if I took the <laughs> under. And it's just kind of continuing that tradition of just the great edge rusher. They've really needed it this year. And and with Chris, he's one of those guys I hope he never graduates because he's such a fantastic quote. And and he'll, he'll I said after the game, like, man, where are you finding all this stuff? And he's like, I don't even go looking for it, but I'll be scrolling through Twitter. People will tag me in a post. I don't know if that's true. It probably, maybe it is. I mean, uh, but... Yeah, it's it's been a fun group to be around, and it helps when you win. And it's it's it feels like it's shaping up to potentially be a special season. There's a long way to go, but you start looking ahead, and we'll do it since the players won't. And you think, how many teams on this schedule are going to beat Wisconsin? Well, you look to that Ohio State game, and I, I've already heard people saying that Wisconsin is perhaps Ohio State's only legitimate challenger for a Big Ten championship. Now, again, still early, but they've shown a lot. Wisconsin likely going to, well... Not beat them twice. We'll have to beat them at least once if they want to win a Big Ten title. And it doesn't have to be next. It doesn't have to be next month. It'll you know they can wait until December if they want to do it. But um, first, first things first, getting it past Northwestern first, who has always been a little bit of a, a thorn in the side of Wisconsin, and uh, they have not looked good at all 
especially offensively. They they get uh, blown out by Michigan State this past weekend. But and I was talking with uh, somebody from the Michigan side last week and asked if Wisconsin, like Michigan last year, remember Michigan's like their revenge tour, like from 2017. They they all have if Wisconsin had something similar, some of the teams that you know that beat them last year and. I didn't. I don't. I'm like. I don't. I don't really think so. I don't think they really think like that. But I think the Northwestern game probably will get their focus quite quickly, uh, based on they went eight and one last year in the in the division, and Wisconsin certainly wants the West back to themselves this year, and this would be the first step with uh, taking on a West team. So we'll see how uh, that plays out. All right, time for this week's trivia question with the person that wins getting the two tickets to this week's Northwestern game. All you have to do is to follow our Twitter account, the underscore camp underscore WI, and direct message the answer to that account. You'll have until noon on Tuesday to do so. We'll then take all those correct answers. We'll throw the names into a hat and pick out the winner for the two tickets. Here is this week's trivia question. Wisconsin, on the verge of going to a bowl game in 1992. They were driving late against Northwestern. Down by two, so only needed a field goal to win the game. But before they even got a chance to kick it, one of their running backs fumbled. Northwestern recovered. The question is, who was that running back? If you know the answer, send it in a DM to our Twitter account. You'll be entered into the drawing that we'll do at noon on Tuesday. Good luck. Now being joined by BadgerBlitz.com editor John McNamara. John, how's it going? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, John, it's been a busy weekend for you. I mean, obviously a huge uh, game and a huge win. There's big games. That means a lot of recruits in town. Big overall feeling for how things went this weekend for, for Wisconsin? Yeah, very well. And if you look at past years, uh, past recruiting cycles, usually Wisconsin likes to make their biggest uh, recruiting weekend on, on, a, on a game day where, uh, you know, Wisconsin plays under the lights at Camp Randall. Uh, they didn't have that opportunity this year, but they used, obviously, a big game against Michigan as what will likely be their biggest recruiting weekend. Um, you know, it, it produced one commitment uh, in the 2021 class. Uh, one more became official in the 2020 class. And, uh, you know, they had a lot of big-time targets on campus. And when you pair that with a big conference win um, against Michigan, you know, the, the, the results and the feedback that we've got from guys today has been, you know, pretty positive. John, I had a chance to talk to Riley Malman, who's the 2021 commit in the and um, obviously it's a big deal. He's six eight, two hundred and seventy pounds. He sounds like he has a chance to be a pretty good player down the road. In your opinion, how big of a deal is this? Because it seemed like half the Big Ten had already offered him a scholarship. Yeah, and you know Wisconsin was on him early. Um, I remember he visited, I think for the first time probably, uh, you know, the summer right after his freshman year and. Uh, you know, at that time, he was kind of known as a basketball player. Uh, he played for that D1 Minnesota AAU program, which has been pretty good to Wisconsin the last handful of years. And, uh, you know, as the years kind of went on for his high school career, he, he obviously turned into a pretty good football player, and he's projected to play tackle. Uh, but like you said, Jesse, a lot of Big Ten offers. Uh, you know, he had an offer from Ohio State. But, uh, you know, he's been to Wisconsin five or six times. That relationship was big. Um, you know, he obviously was on campus this weekend. He pulled the trigger. So, um, it's a big get, you know. It's another tackle in this class, along with uh, JP Benshaw. And uh, you know, if you, if you look at this class as a whole right now, with six guys, uh, you know, they, they fit on a lot of areas, and it looks pretty good early so far. I was asked by somebody uh, on Twitter when I posted that he is the top uh, recruit in the state of Minnesota for the 2021 class. At least the composite score has him as a top recruit in the class. 
or in that in that state, should we just name it West Wisconsin? Well, they're getting back to that. You know, there was a stretch where Wisconsin wasn't getting guys from Minnesota for, you know, one reason or another. But, you know, obviously Malman in the 2021 class, and they have a really good shot at Caden Johnson in the 2020 class. Uh, he was on campus unofficially this weekend. So, um, you know, if Wisconsin was able to grab him, it, it would certainly add to uh, to what you just said about, you know, kind of the in-state recruiting when Wisconsin goes into the state of Minnesota. Yeah, and the, and the reason I say that, and I think they probably said it, was because Minnesota, the or should I say the uh, the basketball team, has gone into Lakeville especially, and which is where he's from, and done this quite a few times here of late. I think there's going to be, there's certainly going to be more Minnesota kids on the basketball team than there will be Wisconsin kids on the basketball team, uh, if not this year, certainly next year. Yeah, and they'll, they'll continue to pound that. I um, mean, you know, obviously we talked about D1 Minnesota, and that's the program that, that produced Stephen Kroll and uh, Ben Carlson, the two guys that committed to Wisconsin uh, just a few days ago. And, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're going to be big pieces for that 2020 class. Uh, if you look at the current roster, Nathan Reavers and uh, Tyler Wall, both from that program. So, you know, Greg Gard, he's, he's going to continue to go into Minnesota. Um, he gets, you know, if, if you look at it, he he's ahead of what the Gophers coaching staff is doing. And, you know, you're talking to the, the D1 Minnesota coaches they, they essentially said that, that, you know, Wisconsin gets in early, they make their guys a priority, and, you know, usually Wisconsin comes out on top uh, for, for Minnesota kids that they make a top priority. John, on the football side of things, you mentioned Wisconsin also had a commitment in the 2020 class. What can you tell us about linebacker Preston Zachman? Yeah, so he actually committed uh, a few days ago, um, really just right after he picked up an offer from the Badgers. He made it official this weekend during his visit. Um, he was a guy that went to camp in June and really impressed the coaching staff. Um, they had him on campus then the following week for his official visit. Uh, didn't get offered, so he went back home and uh, you know continued on the recruiting process. But the Badgers came back in you know about a week or two ago and extended an offer. Um, I think that the twist here, and I should put maybe the interesting thing here, is that uh, you know they're recruiting him as an athlete. So they said you know middle linebacker is still an option, but. You know, there's a chance that he could play safety. There's a chance he could wind up on the offensive side of the ball. So um, that kind of leaves some some doors open for him. But I think he, if you kind of look at where Zachman was, he kind of falls in that best available category where you know Wisconsin's got a lot of holes filled right now in the 2020 class, so they're looking at best available. And uh, Preston Zachman, like I said, a guy that they really liked at camp, and I think they wanted to make a room for in this 2020 class, and they made it happen. How many guys are they going to look for in the 2020 class? I mean, it's getting up, what is, it, is that 17 now? What's, what's the number for that class going to be, you think? Yeah, just a handful of spots. You know, for a long time, I, the, the working number I had was 18, and, you know, that always changes with the attrition on the current roster and, you know, how things kind of shake out with guys in the, in the 2020 class. But, you know, this could get maybe as high as 20. I think you still are looking for a tailback. Um, obviously, Caden Johnson's a guy that they'll take regardless. Um, you know, there's a few other targets out there as well, but, you know, they've hit on a lot of spots. Um, you know, so I would say 19 or 20 in this class. You know, 19 is probably safe, but, you know, as, as fall kind of wears on, I could see it getting maybe up to 20, so just a couple spots left in the 2020 class. You mentioned Wisconsin still looking for a tailback in the 2020 class. I think that's one thing fans see in, in that class and wonder why Wisconsin hasn't been able to get somebody. Obviously, the Badgers usually have a scholarship running back in every class. I know they have two right now committed or uh, at least play running back in high school in the 2021 class. Where do things stand in 2020 with a running back? Do you think the Badgers wind up with one, and do you feel like they need one given that Jonathan Taylor is likely going to leave after this year for the NFL given his success? Yeah, that, that's probably the biggest question moving forward. Um, you know, do they have to have one? Probably not. But, you know, do they want one? 
I think they do. Um, you know, you look at a couple guys that are on their board right now. Uh, Kevontre Bradford, the kid who took his official visit this summer, you know, he remains a top target, but, uh, you know, his recruitment's heated up quite a bit. LSU offered recently, Ohio State offered recently. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I think Wisconsin's still in the thick of things there, but, um, you know, they they got some big-time schools going after him. Uh, Lynette Whitehead, a kid from Georgia, uh, has Wisconsin in his top group as well. Um, you know, a lot of cr- schools are recruiting him as a, as a linebacker. Uh, the Badgers team has a big tailback. Um, and then, you know, they're evaluating other guys, you know, guys that, that are uncommitted at this point or guys that are committed to other schools. Um, you know, if you remember back, you remember Jonathan Taylor. He flipped his commitment from Rutgers to Wisconsin late in the fall. So um, th- there's still some time to go. I know that, you know, like you said, Jesse, fans are getting a little bit restless and, you know, they wonder why can't Wisconsin get a big time back early in the process. But I would say be patient. Um, I would imagine Wisconsin does get someone at some point, but um, I'm just not sure who that's going to be just yet. All right, so the 2020 class, it sounds like obviously they're still working on a few guys, but 2021, among the guys that were at uh, Wisconsin this week, this weekend, you looking at any of them potentially uh, committing at some point soon, and, and which ones should we be keeping an eye on moving forward here? Yeah, I would you know, look at at least a couple guys moving forward. Uh, I think it starts with Hunter Wohler, the in-state safety from Muskego. Um, you know, he's been a top priority for Wisconsin from the very start of this class. He was the first in-state kid that the Badgers offered in that 2021 class. Um, you know, he hasn't given an indication that he's close to a decision, but, you know, I would imagine that something could come, um, you know, at the conclusion of his junior year. Wisconsin's up there for him, obviously. He was on campus this weekend. Uh, Michigan State's another school that's been mentioned as one of his top schools. And then Ohio State just recently offered as well. So, you know, if you look at those three schools and then, you know, maybe some SEC schools come in as well. You know, he's he's one of the top prospects at his position in the country, and uh, it'll be interesting to see when he's ready to make the call. And then, you know, maybe a guy like Brian Sanborn as well. Um, you know, he was on campus watching his brother Jack Sanborn uh, play really well for Wisconsin's defense uh, on Saturday. You know, he's been on campus a handful of times. Obviously, there's a connection there. Um, you know, I would imagine Wisconsin leads for him. He hasn't given a timetable for a decision, but I would imagine that when he's ready, Wisconsin's one of the, you know, maybe two or three schools that he's still considering. So, you know, those two guys as well as a handful of others, um, Wisconsin's in a pretty good spot with early in the process. You know, we're this deep into a recruiting conversation, and we haven't once discussed any quarterbacks, so I feel like I owe it to everyone out there to at least ask. I know there wasn't a quarterback in the 2020 class. They've got Deacon Hill committed in 2021. First of all, were you surprised that Wisconsin didn't wind up with a quarterback in 2020? And what are your thoughts on Deacon Hill and how you think he might fit in at Wisconsin? Yeah, I would say I was a little surprised. Um, you know, if you, if you talked about the running backs, Jesse, where you, you want to get maybe one in every cycle, I think the quarterback is kind of the same. Um, you know, if you look at how this class has played out, you know, there were really three top targets for Wisconsin, and they missed out on all three. And I think at that point they made a decision to say, hey, look, we, we feel good about the quarterback we, room we have right now, um, you know, with the guys that we have, and, you know, maybe we could, you know, shift to the 20. Uh, 21 class and, and make a few guys a priority there and then obviously they got a really early commitment from Deacon Hill uh, the kid from California you know he's a he's a big kid uh, with a strong arm and you know when we talked to him at the time of his commitment he felt like he was going to be the only scholarship guy that they were going to sign in the 2021 class now you know obviously that could change you know depending on how Wisconsin wants to move forward but uh, right now I would imagine Hill's going to be that guy in the 2021 class and He's had a pretty good start to his junior season. Um, it, it's just going to be interesting to, to me to see how his body develops 
you know, he, he looks on pace to be, you know, I guess kind of in that Ben Roethlisberger mold. You know, he's a big kid with a big arm. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, he develops over the next, you know, 12 or 18 months or so. Hey, John, thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, there he is. BadgerBlitz.com's John McNamara. All right. As I said uh, last time, I'm going to be doing this every week, taking you back inside the post-game media session, get you the best audio, and kind of just a, a recap of what uh, we, we heard from the guys as uh, they beat Michigan 35-14. to uh, The early story of the game, certainly, obviously, Jonathan Taylor. He ran for 143 yards. He had two touchdowns before being sidelined with cramps. You know, it sucks because you plan for stuff, like, not to happen, and then sometimes stuff just happens. And Coach Chris always talks about you're going to face adversity. Don't know what kind, don't know what's going to happen, but you're definitely going to face adversity. That just comes with the game. So just being able to prepare and pull through and you know make sure I was able to get back out there with my teammates. Taylor ended up with 203 yards on the day, became the first Wisconsin back to top that 200-yard mark against Michigan. Among the most important of those yards was the two yards he got on the first drive of the game. Badgers faced a fourth and one their own 34-yard line. Normally conservative Paul Christ had the team go for it. Now, it is a little bit, but the biggest thing is this year, like you said, it's a different team, different offense. So it just shows the kind of trust that he has. It just shows that uh, the work we put in, he believes in us. So we got to make sure that when we do things like that, we pull through. Among those very much in favor going for it in that situation would be left tackle Cole Van Lannon. Coach says be ready for we might go on fourth downs, and for us as O-Lannon, we love that. And we we want to go for fourth down. We know we're going to get the fourth down, and we're, that's the type of team we are this year. We just want to punch people in the mouth, and that's what we did today. By going for it, Chris not only uh, actually showed the confidence he had in the offense to get the job done, also showed the confidence in the defense. That did not go unnoticed by linebacker Chris Orr. Oh, I was excited. You know, that's a statement in itself. People don't know how much momentum that builds for a team. Even us as a defense, we're pulling for our O line. We, we know that we can get a yard, you know, or what was that like six inches? We're like, we're getting that. And I know I told Coach Chris that we got your back. You know, when we tell the offense, we got your back. If somehow, I don't know what would happen for them not to get it, but if they didn't get it, you know, we're going to get it three and out. We're going to get it right back to you. Wisconsin went for it twice more on fourth down and converted both times. That included a quarterback sneak from Jack Cohn for a touchdown. He later scrambled for a 25 yard score that had Taylor talking afterwards. Yeah, I've always told guys, I, I said this last year, he was dual threat. I said it last year, so uh, I, I already knew that. Any advice for him? Uh, keep doing what he's doing. I mean, you, you saw it today. He got in there clean, so that's the biggest thing is I don't want to take credit and say, well, I told you guys, I told you so, but I knew all along. I knew all along. Wisconsin went with a different-looking package to get that uh, first fourth down conversion, and then again on Taylor's first touchdown. It's actually called the Hippo Package. It uh, included essentially eight offensive linemen, including David Mormon and Jason Erdman, lined up behind the right guard. They used it a bunch to varying levels of success, but Taylor loved it. That's a lot of beef. It's a lot of beef. But it's fun. It's fun because you guys know that you know, you're going to line up, you're going to play big boy ball, and it's going to be who wants it more. So that's the fun part of it. Wisconsin's defense, once again, very good. Showed it could handle adversity. Eric Burrell gave up that big, long completion on the first offensive play. Clearly upset with himself after Michigan called a timeout or got in his face. It wasn't berating him or anything, as I said earlier. It was just trying to pump him up, and it included him slapping his own helmet several times. Burrell actually took that to heart. Don't worry about it. You know, plays happen. Uh, do whatever you got to do. So let, let's get a turnover now. So I appreciate Chris for doing that because it was definitely in my head. I'm trying to get it out, but it's very difficult when you know something 
was caused by you. It was no scheme, nothing. It was just that guy was better than me at that play, you know. So that's what I, it was so frustrating. But uh, and Zach, I give him credit too. Uh, he was there in my corner. Just basically saying, don't worry about it. Brell would go on to recover a fumble on the next play. Later, grab his second interception of the season. That was, of course, before he was ejected for the game for a controversial targeting penalty. I'm not a ref for a reason, you know. Uh, I went out there, did what I was supposed to do. Uh, made the calls, targeting. You know, I can't do anything about that. You know, so had to move on. Uh, get ready for next week. He'd be joined in the locker room minutes later by fellow safety Reggie Pearson, who also got called for targeting. In addition to the injured Scott Nelson, Wisconsin to be without their top three safeties for the first half of the Northwestern game. Or believes the likes of Colin Wilder, Tyler Mace, John Torchio, Madison Cohn can get things done. From camp, spring ball, summer workouts, winter workouts, you know, and practice during the season. You know, we have everybody prepared like they're the starter. Nobody prepares differently. You know, it's not like you get a crazy more amounts as a starter or, or a two or even a three. You know, everybody prepares like the starter because this is the game of football. And unfortunately, injuries happen and targeting is now part of the game. So, you know, you never know what can happen. You never know when your name's going to be called. Once again, Wisconsin's defensive effort propped up at least a little bit by comments from the opposing team. Last week, uh, Michigan quarterback Shea Patterson told reporters that he and his team were going to go out and make a statement against Wisconsin or was, of course, listening. We just take that as disrespect. If somebody is telling you basically that they're going to come and we're going to show out against you. That's basically what he's saying. And, you know, that's just disrespectful. You know, we're the number one defense in the nation for a reason. You know, people like to negate um, the fact that we played some non-Power 5 teams, but that doesn't change what we've done. You know, we're going to keep doing it every week. It, it doesn't matter who you put against us. You know, they're just nameless, faceless opponents. We know that we need to focus on us making plays, getting turnovers, and dominating the, the other teams offense. Or said making a statement, every game is the goal. We want to make a statement uh, every game, you know, that we're going to be the more physical team. We're going to dominate you physically. We're going to own both both sides of the ball, both line of scrimmages, and you're going to play a nasty team, you know, not nasty in a, in a cheap shot way, but you're just going to play a physically dominating team. And I feel like we did that today. Wisconsin led the game 28 to nothing at the half. That's the biggest halftime deficit the Wolverines had faced since 1958. The game itself served as a perfect message to the rest of the country, according to Van Lannan. Yeah, there's always talk that they don't give us enough credit. They, I mean, you know, I don't care. You know, we it just shows what time team we are. And we're going to keep doing this every week. And we're trying to build off every week. And, you know, we don't really look at anything outside of our team. And, um, our goal every week is just to kick the butt out of anyone in front of us and we prepare as hard as we can and on the show today. All right, time to get into our Twitter questions. We'll start with Richard here. He says, what, uh, what are your thoughts on which individuals are playing the best in the secondary, the offensive line, and the defensive line? We'll start with the secondary. What do you think stands out among uh, all those secondaries? I think, for me personally, Reggie Pearson has... Uh, specifically the hit that he had early in that game uh, to knock the ball loose for the the fumble, and then obviously his hit later in the game that's going to cost him an opportunity to play uh, the first half. But him and Eric Burrell, I thought the safeties have played pretty well. They've had so many different corners in there. Like, it's it's hard to pinpoint any one corner, but... Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, especially with Scott Nelson not playing for the rest of the season. You're relying on Reggie Pearson and Eric Burrell, and Colin Wilder, too, who came up with an interception in the first game, and... So I, John Torchio, John Torchio with a with a pick late in the in the very Michigan well, game, very well could get the start on Sunday on Saturday. He just might. They they basically ran out of safeties almost. They don't have their top three safeties, so it'll definitely be interesting to see what they do. Obviously, Colin Wilder should be one of those guys. Yeah. But 
you're right with the cornerbacks. It's harder to say specifically one guy. You know, I, I think of individual plays. I think of the play against South Florida when Caesar Williams played great coverage, tipped the ball, and Eric Burrell wound up with the interception. I think of the Fayon Hicks tackle that very well could have gone for a touchdown on Michigan's first play that, as we said, could have changed the course of the game. So for me, it's more individual plays, but I think that does speak to the overall depth of talent that you've got different playmakers at these spots. I thought at one point that they were going to zone in on certain corners. That just has not happened. They've continued to rotate guys throughout. I mean, even Deron Harrell, who had been the starter from spring, all the fall camp, doesn't start this week. Uh, Rashad Wild Goose got the start at one of the corner spots opposite Fayon Hicks. Now, obviously, Deron Harrell played a bunch, but um, that was that, that kind of stood out to me. Um, what about the, the along the defensive line? I think the two. I think the two. The two returners, kind of. As, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of big plays out of Garrett Rand, but him and him and Isaiah Latimer both have stabilized the defense. And, and I, I have to mention Matt Henningsen too. And oh, it, you yeah. know, oh. what he did in the, in the opener was absolutely unbelievable. With the and had a the, huge and had a huge play today too, or a, a play against Michigan with the tip. He's the one that tipped it, and Eric Burrell picked it off. And I, that just. That's to me one of the biggest differences in in the team overall. Like as we've talked about many times, they just they didn't have a, a run stoppers on the defensive line last year because they didn't have anyone available. They they were just out of out of position or, or not quite ready. And but it really it allowed Matt Henningsen to get those starts that he otherwise never would have gotten. And now he has that experience and he can be the third defensive end. And as he said after the South Florida game, we can rotate every three or four plays and stay fresh. But I would also mention Keanu Benton and what he's done at, at yeah. nose tackle. Now, he hasn't gotten as many snaps, but he's certainly made the most of them. Bryson Williams being hurt the last two games, he got even more. You know, he comes in for his first series against South Florida, and he gets a tackle for loss on the first play. And on his fourth play, he stuffs him on fourth down to to make the turnover on downs. And he was excellent again in game two. Pro Football Focus does these weekly grades of every player. He was the highest graded player for Wisconsin in week two, so... I think he's progressed a lot quicker, certainly than I anticipated. And and as I've said, I went to Janesville in the spring, and it just seemed like there were clips where he would stand straight up. He would lose the leverage battle on two smaller offensive linemen. And I just thought, oh, he's going to get to college. There's no way this guy's going to be ready. But he's made inroads very, very quickly. It helps to be 310, 315. He can push guys around. Right. He has not looked overmatched. And maybe it'll change when they play. That's Michigan. Michigan with four starters returning on the offensive line. It didn't look much different. I mean, they had 40 yards rushing. Wisconsin is can, I haven't looked, but they have to be in the top five in terms of rushing defense in the country, at least. And he's been in there starting two games, you know, so he, he's played a huge, he's played a huge role. Offensive line wise, I don't think we've heard the name Cole Van Landen very often. I think that's probably a really, really good thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he hasn't been getting beat off the edge and they face some uh, athletic guys, especially South Florida and Michigan. They have some athletic guys who are going to challenge you and we haven't heard his name very much it's often much harder to judge how well offensive linemen are doing you only hear them when they get beat but i I think you're right we we knew cole and tyler biotic were two of the best at their positions if not the best in college football obviously the way pro football focus grades they were each number one number one center for tyler number one tackle for for cole van lannan and so those were great anchors but i feel like they've gotten better and especially against michigan and it certainly helps to have that hippo package where you just throw seven dudes in there but i thought there were some issues in the opener certainly with too, too many runs that went for a loss of yards you had six runs that went for loss of yards you had four that went for no gain some of that had to do with the personnel that they had in there but you have to remember this is a group that really had not played together and the fact that cole and tyler your two best offensive linemen 
didn't play all fall camp, or, or at least for large stretches of it, and were not there in spring practice either. So I think it's starting to come together with that unit, but I think you're dead on with with Cole Van Landen and what he's been able to do. Yeah. Uh, Bix asks, thoughts on that jumbo formation that we saw? The hippo package is what it was called. It's eight offensive linemen in total. You got the And then the quarterback, running back, and Jake Ferguson was the tight end. But it was Cormac Sampson, David Mormon, Jason Erdman, and then the the other five. I mean, you go along with that and get twenty five. I think it was twenty five oh six. It was twenty eight oh six for the eight guys. Is that right, or is my math bad? Is it twenty five oh six? Did I? I thought it was we'll twenty five oh six. It probably was twenty five oh six. Forget I said that. Well, no, you. you I'm not a mathematician. We, I I tweeted it, but I could have been wrong. No, I think you're right. Okay. Now that there's certainly that has happened plenty of times before, uh, but I I thought I did add it up. And either way. 2,500 pounds just in those eight guys. I think you're right. Okay. It, I think it's awesome. What more can you say about it? It is quintessential. Average of 313 pounds. Yes. It is quintessential Wisconsin football. We've seen, you're right, we've seen the jumbo package before, but the way they deployed those guys, you you put them in the back and you, you line them up behind the, the right guard and the right tackle, and you just know the ball where the ball is going. You know it's a running play because <laughs> there's nobody that can catch the ball except Jake Ferguson, but he's in there to block too, and... Obviously, it worked very successfully on the first drive. They, they did it for that, that first down on fourth down, and they did it again on Jonathan Taylor's score. And so it's like Cole Van Landen said after the game, it, it's like telling the other team, hey, we've got 7-0 linemen coming right at you. You know it's coming. Try and stop us. Yeah. That's what they said. You're dare, we dare you to stop us, and no one can stop you. We want to punch you in the face. That's, that's, it was, and he kind of was talking about that with the, the fourth downs as well. The idea of it, we're coming at you. This is a different team. This with different mentality. We're coming at you. We're going to punch you in the face. What are you going to do about it? And it's not like Wisconsin hasn't run this formation before, though. I don't think we've seen it. At least we were able to find in, in very shallow uh, research, just looking at a play that was popped up on our screens right away. Um, but they ran it at Penn State last year. But they didn't run it with. They ran it with a wide receiver on the field lined up to the left. They didn't have the eight guy. They didn't have the eight offensive linemen. They had a. They had another wide receiver out there. But it. Yeah. I mean, it, it worked. I don't. I, I think Paul Chris like it, it worked, but it wasn't overly successful. Like he was kind of like, we got some work to do on it because it didn't. It wasn't like it was. It didn't. I don't think it worked as well as they thought maybe it was going to. Because they got down on the goal line and they they struggled to punch it in right, right. away. I think eventually they got where they wanted to be, yes. which made everybody happy. But you're right. It, it, yeah, it wasn't like an automatic, but I think it made enough of a statement to to stick around for a while. And it also went viral, uh, of course, when you when you put when Wisconsin as, as Wisconsin of a formation as you could possibly have outside of I mean outside of the barge. Do you remember the? Were, you, I do recall yeah, you were, the barge. You were still there in twenty twelve. You were here twenty twelve when they had all those guys on the field together. I kind of like this one better. And I certainly like the name better. Hippo. It's solid. Yeah, I like the name better for sure. Malden Badger asks. How comfortable do you think Madison Cohen is with his transition to safety? And he's a is he a, is a guy that potentially could get time there on Saturday? I don't know. We yeah. have not seen very much of him, which I have to say I'm so I'm the slot a little bit, but that's we haven't seen him at safety. Yeah. I'm I'm slightly surprised by it. I thought he would have a bigger role. I mean he he played a fair amount last year, and obviously they moved him from corner to safety. And the reason they did it is because they felt good about certainly the guys they have in the two deep that they've been able to rotate through. I feel like he's the type of guy that if he were, get, were to get an opportunity, he has enough experience that he can he can contribute. And maybe he is that guy who gets gets those reps when they're missing their top three safeties. But I don't know how they see him if they only think he's you know the, a slot guy or if they see him as 
hey, let, let's line him up out there with Colin Wilder and just let him go. Yeah. Uh, Mark kind of finished, follows up with that. Say, say if it's not Madison Cohen, who is it uh, for at least that first half? Jamie Leonard have any uh, eligibility remaining? <laughs> not that I'm aware of, although I'm sure he'd be ready to go yeah. out right now. I mean, it's Tyler Mace, John Torchio, right? Yeah. Those are the, those are the safeties right now. They I are. thought Torchio, the fact he got an interception, it shows something. Um, and Tyler Mace was the first one out there, you know, when they needed another guy. But and then they, repl- but then right, Torchio replaced yeah. him. So we'll learn more this week. That I'm sure we will. Uh, both uh, Mace and Torchio are walk-ons. Torchio had offers that he turned down, though. Correct. So he's I, from I, California, he's, yeah. Right? So no. he essentially, to me, I view him as kind of like a scholarship guy. Like he's good enough to to have one. So yeah, this could be an opportunity for him. Todd wants to know: not many long passes on Saturday. Was that just not a good matchup with Michigan's DBs, or is just the way the game played out? They didn't have to. Um, I feel like that's part of it. You sure. know, when you're, you're running for what they run for 359 yards against Michigan, and you got Jonathan Taylor going for 200, but. I'd say I I think they converted when they needed to, and it, it, it doesn't have to be the 40-plus yarder. It's the moving the chains. If you go back and look, Jonathan didn't play in that second quarter because he had cramping issues. Jack Cohn went 8-for-8 eight for, eight for 87 yards and led two touchdown drives in the second quarter, and and obviously one of those passes was the 26-yarder on 4th and 3 to Quintez Cephas. So it wasn't 20-plus yard passes, but... He was effective and efficient, and I think that's what matters. Finish up with this one. Jeff wants to know, over or under, 10.5 wins this year. Wow. <laughs> the way they've played so far? But look, they're going to be favored in every game they play outside of Ohio State. So say they win the games they're favored in. They'll be 11-1 and one going into the, into the Big Ten championship game. I'd be more inclined to take the over if you said 9.5, but... <laughs> I mean, it's still a tough schedule. They, Michigan State and Iowa are nationally ranked teams. I think it's yeah. I think it's worth discussing whether Michigan and, and this was another part of the question is Michigan LSU from 2016. It very is, well could be. Or is, yeah, I mean because they did same not thing with, same thing with Michigan State in 2016. Both those yes. teams were top 10 teams when Wisconsin beat them. They both, I believe, finished under. Well, I know Michigan State finished under 500. LSU was, I think, may have been 500, and Les Miles got. Got tossed. It certainly feels that way based on the early start. You know, Michigan played Middle Tennessee. I think there were some stretches where people were wondering what's going on, especially in the second half. And certainly against Army, did not look particularly good. And Wisconsin will make a lot of teams look bad, but Michigan just did not <laughs> look like a quality team. So I think there's some of that. But at the same time, give credit where credit is due. I mean, Wisconsin blew the doors off Michigan by scoring the first five touchdowns. But in terms of the the ten and a half wins thing, I don't know. I don't want to get too gung ho. Maybe it's ten and two at this point, but if they keep playing like this, you start to wonder who really can beat them. And you're lining up them with with Ohio State as as maybe the the only formidable competition. But Iowa's played pretty good football too. They're 14th in the country and three and zero. It's September, and the, mm-hmm. a lot lot can happen between now and then, or between now and when they play Ohio State in in five weeks. It'd be interesting. I, I, they're a better team than I thought they would. I thought they would be a good team. They're better than I thought they would be. Is that oh 100 percent. And I think we said even before that it felt like this team, before they played any games, it felt like this was a better team than last year, but that did not necessarily mean that they would have a better record. And now it almost seems foolish to think that because I just, I don't see them losing three, four, five games the way they've played. No. This has the feel to me of, I mean, a couple different seasons, you know, 2017 was was a little bit different, but it, they, they played so well. And, and then there's the other season where people thought Wisconsin wasn't going to be very good and they wound up winning 10 games in the Cotton Bowl. That's 26, the, this is 2016 to me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's between those two seasons. Yeah. I mean, 2017, I mean, 
they didn't play the same type of schedule right. that I think they're going to play I mean, here. I, but they did beat Michigan at I, home and Iowa. I don't want to. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I picked sounds them, like you're gonna. I picked them twelve and zero in 2017. Like we all expected them, and I think everyone else is like eleven and one, ten and two. Like we all expected them to because of their schedule. And I'm still not even sure how good that team was, especially offensively. Uh, they showed it in the. I mean, in the Orange Bowl, they were fantastic, but it was just so hit and miss. Right now, this team has been more consistent. I mean, it's obviously been as consistent as an offensive team as they've had since 2011. But the defense is as good as it's been. I mean, it's in that 2013 to 2017 group right now. It's in it's in that that type of form. So anything's. I guess anything's possible. I still find it very hard to believe that they're going to go into Ohio State and win. Like that's still would be a surprise to me. That seems reasonable and it, fair after right? Ohio State put up 76 points. Right, but I think there's some people sitting here saying that Wisconsin's gonna, Wisconsin can go in there and win. I'm not saying they can't, but I just don't see it. But they are going to have to beat them once, at least in my opinion, to get that Big Ten championship. We'll see if they can do it. Jesse, thank you. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.